0: I'm tom dennis the ceo of serenity and leadership we're premier conflict resolution culture integration and change specialists and we help businesses overcome challenges and achieve successful lasting outcomes whilst always putting their people at the heart of the business today i'm delighted to welcome catherine llewellyn to our podcast catherine is a master humanistic psychologist and she helps successful entrepreneurs, executives, and business owners master their full power and potential, leverage their opportunities, and elevate their lives. Wow. Hello, Catherine. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Follow that. Hello, Tom. <laughs> Thanks for inviting me.
0: Uh, it's a real pleasure to see you again. So you describe yourself as a master humanistic psychologist and a type A wrangler. That's Um, right. Help me understand what those terms mean.
1: (laughs) Well, um, a a type A wrangler is, um, it's a term I came up with, actually, because I I noticed over the years that I seem to have a sort of unusual facility for working with the type A person. And, you know, uh, often practitioners say, you know, type A people are really difficult to work with, they will say, because they will say... Type A's are rugged individualists. They know who they are. They are opinionated. They are willful. They are creative. They are fantastic. They are successful. They've got all sorts of qualities about them, which for a practitioner often can be challenging. If what you want is a sort of a meek supplicant, you know, coming to your wisdom, people, I rate them. I, I appreciate the fact that they're out there doing what they're doing. I appreciate their um, autonomy and I find them interesting. And I also find that they often have many other qualities within them, which, when added to their type A uh, marvelousness, creates a, a very happy and successful contributive human being. So, you know, I, I'm very good at working with the type A's. And the word Wrangler, I suppose, is a bit like if you think of the, the beautiful stallions running across the hills you know the, the type a is a bit like that very very beautiful totally uncontrollable but fantastic if you can find a way of engaging with them and for some reason i'm very good at engaging with them i like them and they feel you know safe with me and a humanistic psychologist that's a bit of a you know if you put a group of humanistic psychologists in a room and ask them the question what is humanistic psychology and actually, we did actually do that at the Association of Humanistic Psychologists to celebrate the 50 year anniversary. Uh, in a room to, our, to discuss that question for three days. The answer at the end was, it's hippie stuff, peace, love, and understanding. Mm. And that's what humanistic psychology is. And a, a slightly more technical description is that it's, um, it has a great respect for personhood. You know, the, the basic assumption that each and every individual has the potential to run their own lives, make their own choices and grow and be infinite. So it's a, it's a bit of a yin-yang thing. You know, the humanistic psychology is a bit of a yin emphasis and the Taipei wrangling is a bit of a, a yang emphasis.
0: So do you think that, um, that that's... The, the peace and the love sort of thing is, a, is is kind of the language that enables you to talk to the stallions.
1: It's, it's what, uh, the peace and love thing is what's in me. I may or may not actually talk to them about it. So I think they feel accepted as who they are. They, they can tell that I'm not trying to change them. I'm not trying to force them to bring up their feminine side or uh, listen more. Or uh, I'm not trying to force them to be different from who they are, because I'm accepting them, and that comes from a place of love, actually.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so we we all have hearts. We're all sensitive. Doesn't matter what personality type we we have. We can all feel it when somebody is 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 giving. There's a term called unconditional regard that we used in the humanistic world, which I know you're familiar with. It's that when you know you're being witnessed by somebody who unconditionally accepts you, respects you, and appreciates you as you are. And that's a really wonderful place. And I think the reason that works for me is because I genuinely feel that about these people. I'm not pretending to feel it.
0: Yeah. That sense of respect, which actually is so um, unusual these days. Mm. so it's really refreshing but it's more than refreshing it's um it's affirming
1: yeah yeah and of course to, to get to a place where I were I'm able to do that I of course have had to, to go on a long journey myself in order to be in a place where I fully respect myself because I can't offer that to somebody else without first having that relationship with myself so any uh, experienced or a successful, really good humanistic psychologist will be somebody who has, who's had done a long, long journey within in order to come to terms with aspects of themselves and actually really ground their self-love, mm. which then enables them to be in a position to offer that to others.
0: That under, underpins, I think, so much of the work that I think both of us uh, try and do. So <clears throat> very important. Thank you. So I understand you had a bit of a bohemian upbringing and a variety of catalytic encounters with radical thought leaders. <laughs> yes. Can you tell us about how this has shaped you?
1: <laughs> well, it's a good question because I have no idea how I would have turned out otherwise because <laughs> it was sort of fully absorbing. Um, it's, uh, I'm sure it's contributed to me being nonconformist. You know, I, I learned very, very early on, I learned that the idea of trying to conform to what everybody else was doing or what everyone else thinks is was was just not done. <laughs> it just wasn't done in the circles I was growing up with. And I was surrounded by all these extraordinary people who would just sort of turn up at the house, often without warning and often with several other people in the car who we hadn't previously met. and we just hang out and we'd have all sorts of interesting conversations and games. And it it was, it was just fairly wild. There was a movie that came out a few years ago called running with scissors. I don't know if you saw it. Um, It it was a, a psychologist and his children and the upbringing they had. And running with scissors was a brilliant metaphor because for us running with scissors was what you're supposed to do, you know, the the whole business of doing the thing which other people would consider to be risky or consider to be not sensible or a bit out there is is what we just did. You know, I, I remember my father started talking to us about the, the notion that um, we don't actually know for sure that we've been here as long as we think we have, right? And you're six, you're six years old, right? And someone's saying this to you. And you're saying, well, what do you mean? He said, well, for all you know, you just popped into existence right now. What do you mean? What about all my memories? Yeah, you just popped into existence with all the memories, as if they were real, right? Now, this was a normal conversation in our household when I was six. (laughs) Now, (laughs) for most people, that's not normal, you know. And there there was another – and he would take us to sun clubs and communes and all kinds of different things which we, we would just do. And I remember one time I was uh, dropped off for the weekend with um, a lady, uh, Dr. Rachel, we called her. You may have heard of Dr. Rachel Pinney,
0: mm. who
1: um, s- did an awful lot of work with, with children and nonviolent communication and so on in the, in the 50s and 60s. She was a family friend. I had no idea that she was you know, someone but I mean, dropped off her funny little wooden house in the woods and spent the weekend there. And she would do experiential processes with me, you know, at the age of eight. And uh, one of these apparently became part of her body of material, which is one where the, the adult and the child are sitting together. And the adult says, right, we're going to do Rachel half hour, Catherine half hour. And Rachel half hour, Rachel decides what we're going to do for half an hour. And Catherine does it. And, Plays fully with what Rachel wants. And the other half hour, Catherine half hour, is the other way around. So there I was at the age of eight, being told to and encouraged to learn how to take responsibility for what I wanted to ask for, communicate it, involve somebody else. And when it was their turn, it was their turn. And it's really advanced for a child. But we were just, this just normal. <laughs> you know, there was a whole bunch of things we did. And I think it's made me more nonconformist, more adventurous, more free thinking, more curious, more imaginative, but also more willful, more unmanageable, more annoying. <laughs> <laughs> I could go on.
0: Yes. And actually yeah, that evokes, uh, what's that book? The, the, the Women Who Run With Wolves.
1: Yes, yes.
0: That's uh, right.
1: And another book, um, Among the Bohemians. Um, I read this book and then I lent it to my brother and then I waited. And then he phoned up and said, these people, this is our life (laughs) (laughs) in this book.
0: (laughs) Okay, so you, you spent many years working with top business leaders in the corporate world, aligning fiscal success with values driven leadership and culture. Nowadays, you choose to work directly with clients. What made you leave the corporate world behind?
1: Well, I'd, I'd been working in the corporate world for about 40 years by then. And, you know, I was not as young as I once was. I wanted a bit of a change of pace, I wanted to move on. I felt like, I felt like I'd done my bit in that particular context. You know, it was great fun, really interesting. I feel like I did a lot of good work and a lot of people benefited from it. And also it's hard work, you know, all the travel and dealing with all the admin of dealing with corporates. I partly stopped because of the admin, (laughs) which I could do without. Uh, But also another element of it, which, which in one way empowered the work, but in another way was something... That perhaps sometimes we could do without is the third person in the room that's always there uh, kind of metaphorically when you're working with corporate clients because the, the 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 company is paying for the work and so therefore the work must deliver something to the company now obviously if somebody is successful in their work which of course is what I wanted them to be it will benefit the business but the business won't necessarily recognize that unless it's kind of explained to them or couched in a certain way or or me- measured in a certain way so, so there's always that element which like I say on one in one hand it empowered the work because it helped focus but in another way they came over I thought you know well, let's just let that go and I kind of moved on and you know partly due to my upbringing I imagine I'm one of these people who I will move on when when it feels like time to move on even if I've no idea where, where I'm going So I just kind of let it drift away. Um, And then I had quite a long sabbatical before coming into my next phase of whatever I was going to do.
0: So how would you you describe the work that you do now?
1: Well, it's now branded as Yes, You Now. And that really says it, which is it's about working with people who are successful already and who for some reason can see some sort of opportunity for themselves or for their business or very often both. And they've recognized that they themselves are their own greatest asset for capitalizing on that opportunity. So this is not everybody, this is a minority of people who fulfill all of those characteristics. And those people will very often say, right, It matters to me how quickly I capitalise on this this opportunity. And it matters to me what it feels like and how I experience doing that. So I want to do this in a way that's as fulfilling for me as possible. And I want to grow because I'm my own greatest asset. I want to work myself as an asset. And I think I would like some expert help with that. So that's the kind of work I'm doing now. And, and the way that it's applied is a little bit different from how it was under the inspiring change banner, because now I work with people for shorter periods of time over a shorter duration, because we're, we can jump into it much, much faster now, because we don't have to worry about all the corporate stuff mm. that they, 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 if they need... It's their business anyway. So, if they want to tell people in the business about it, that's up to them. But that doesn't have that, our work is not predicated on that in any way. It means we can just literally have a conversation and start work the next week yeah. and just get on with it. And we can jump in and, and jump through it in, in a much, m- much more leveraged way, I would say. So,
0: without giving away uh, any uh, particulars, what would be an example of the way that you would work with someone now?
1: Well, I'm often working with people on Zoom now. So I'd have an initial conversation with somebody to find out why they might want to work with me. And we'd have a conversation about, you know, what that is. Generally, I go away and have a think about it and come back and say, well, okay, I suggest we try this. You know, I suggest we try three months where we meet fortnightly or six months where we do this or whatever. And This is how much time I suggest we spend together. And these are the levers I suggest we focus on, given what you've told me about yourself and your situation in order to accomplish what you want to accomplish. Mm. So it's tailored to each person and and it's working using whatever levers they already have. You know, their existing strengths, their existing resources and opportunities. How do we leverage those to help them bring out more potential and accomplish even more going forwards. So that's kind of open-ended um, and, and for each person, it's, it's very, very different. Mm. Is that at all helpful or is that just too vague?
0: I mean, clearly these things are very personal. Um, mm. Well, let's, let's move on and see if we come back to it. I don't know. What, what do you think are the most important qualities good leaders need to have?
1: I think at the moment, I, I'm, I'm very tuned into how things are at the moment in the world. And I sort of look at all these things from that perspective. And I think at the moment, what leaders need to be doing really is thinking for themselves. And they need to be encouraging other people to think for themselves. And they need to be presenting themselves and showing up as profoundly trustworthy and followable. And the reason I say that is because we've had an all... They've done studies recently about the degree to which people trust, for example, their government leadership or um, corporate leadership, and the trust levels are really, really low at the moment collectively in relation to that. Now, human psychology is such that sometimes we forget the distinction between an actual human being and a group of human beings. So, if our trust levels in relationship to leaders as a group is low, then we will naturally, without even deciding to do so, project that onto any individual leader who's in front of us, which means that individual leader who may be absolutely gold, you know, wonderful human being, wonderful ethics, brilliant strategist, et cetera, that person is, is then carrying the shadow of that mistrust. Mm. So a big challenge for leaders right now is to actually overcome that and show up and connect with their people in such a way that people can actually, I may distrust leaders as a group, but this guy or woman, I can trust because they are real, they are authentic, they are making sense. Mm. And also they're thinking for themselves. So they're actually a real leader. They're not just a follower. And so people want to follow people who are real leaders, not followers. Do you think that
0: uh, aligning um, purpose and business and personal values is is part of this mix? It's very important right now, and if so, why?
1: Yeah, I do, and i th- I think that's important always because even if it's only because it's more efficient, you know, if if our if our personal values, business values, and and purpose are at odds, that creates an inner conflict, which is a drain on energy. And it means that any action we take is only partial in its success. So it's always important, but I think especially important right now because we're in a matter of depletion as a result of the last two years. Some of us are personally, directly depleted energetically, emotionally, mentally. Most of us, if we're not depleted ourselves, have people in our lives who we love who are depleted.
0: Mm.
1: And that means there's a lot of energy involved in just staying afloat and just keeping going. Now, for most of us, this is on a subconscious level because, you know, certainly in the UK and generally in the West, I would say, we are pretty rugged, we're resilient, we'll keep going, which is great. But sometimes, unfortunately, it means that we ignore when we're depleted. Mm. So Mm. our imagination is reduced, our resourcefulness is reduced, our intuition's reduced, our flexibility is reduced. So all the more reason why we need to be in alignment so that we've got that sense within us that everything is all going in the right direction and that all aspects of our lives are supporting each other. And therefore, when we take a step you know, to have breakfast, to go to work, to go out with friends, to talk to our people, to write, to do a podcast, if we feel that everything's all in alignment, we've got a much better chance of actually using the energy we have happily and productively and being fulfilled as a result and we're also that much more attractive to our people in terms of being trustworthy linking back to the previous one and we're easier to be around we're more fun to be around and we're more encouraging in a world where so many people are basically fielding despair
0: the importance of of having a purpose it becomes much greater
1: um I don't think the importance of having a purpose is any greater now than it ever is. I think the conditions we're in are more difficult. And I think our own personal state is probably less well-resourced. So therefore, if we want to achieve our purpose, it's a bit harder, I suppose is what I'm saying. And we may have to work a little bit harder to clarify what our purpose is. And in fact, our purpose may have to morph in response to the new circumstances.
0: I think we, should, we could get quite gritty on this one. <laughs>
1: Please, go ahead.
0: <laughs> well, I don't know, it, because I think purpose is, is it's the why. It's why, why, why do I get out of bed? What, what is it that I'm going to do at a personal level? And when I get into the work, the office, do, do I resonate with what this business is trying to do? Do I know what it's trying to do? And uh, do, do, I, do I agree with it? Do I, am I fully behind it? Mm. Uh, and I think actually this is a very new concept in a lot of organizations. Yeah. I, I don't think many have explored this at all. Because we're under so much pressure, because there's so much grief uh, right now, and a, and a sense of a lack of trust, having a why, having a reason, to go to work and to g- give your, your energies to, to an organization, um, I, I think it, 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 it's taken on a, a whole new level of meaning.
1: Right, yeah, I see what you're saying, yeah. I suppose I'm thinking about it from the point of view of the senior leaders for whom they always must have a purpose because they've got people following them. I think perhaps for people more junior in organizations, what you're saying, I'm, I'm listening to what you're saying and I'm thinking that it's different at different levels in the organization. Yeah, Because I think if, you, you know, if, if you're a leader who's not in touch with your purpose, you're going to fail regardless of what's happening in the world. Whereas if you are in a more junior position in an organization, you may still succeed because you're not the person leading the organization. You know, within your aspect. But I hear what you're saying. I think it's a very important point. You know, when we have a sense of purpose, that can enable us to overcome obstacles and difficulties that we can't overcome when we don't have a purpose.
0: Yeah, the the, the point here, I think, is that, yeah, leaders have got to have a purpose, but that purpose doesn't necessarily enrol other people. That purpose may be that they're satisfying a drive that was created by their, their father, uh, when they were six years old. You know, I have always wanted yes, to satisfy yeah. my father. So, the, the, and, and the whole drive behind that individual who's created a huge empire. I mean, there's stacks of examples yeah. of that, but that's not something yeah. that people working in the organization um, will understand. And it's, there's no reason why they would get behind that. And that's why there's so, in my view, that's why there's so much fear in so many organizations because the people at the top are driving for reasons that don't actually resonate and don't actually make much sense for everybody else.
1: Uh, yeah, I think that certainly happens. I also think something that happens is that people have a values-driven purpose and sometimes don't engage with their people, so their people don't have a direct experience of that and therefore don't. You know, same, similar results in, in the sense, you, you know, that, in fact, that one was almost sadder. Because you know, the leader's trying to do good and people aren't. But, well, as you know from your work, there are so many different variations, aren't there? And the main thing is, is the, the importance of recognising the difference in the time that we're in and the, the, the importance of responding to that in a way which, which serves, you know, which will serve the need of the day. Mm-hmm because I I feel like we individually have certain needs now which have been heightened because of the last period and collectively as well. And I like to think that leaders want to be part of the solution to that. You know, and I work on the basis that leaders want to be part of that solution and therefore how can they do that?
0: That's the humanistic part, I guess. And yeah, it's, it's very positive and it's it's great to hear you say it in that way
1: yeah and the ones who don't want to be part of the solution i mean i can only work with a certain number of people at a time and the same is true for all other humanistic practitioners including yourself so I'm, I'm happy for the guys who want to be part of the solution to can't give me a call okay. and the ones who don't want to be part of the solution do not need to give me a call
0: okay so <laughs> um to, to, we, we want to wrap this up really but can you um, can you give our listeners a couple of top tips on how to meet opportunities head on and activate our full potential?
1: I would say the first one is d- decide to be somebody who is learning how to do that. So decide to make it a project that you want to learn how to meet your opportunities and Put your, put your creative learning mind to the question, you know, rather than look outside to how, did you, how do you do it, use the fact that you have found your own answer to things all through your life. Apply that faculty to those questions. And on your own, you can discover a lot. On your own, you can observe how you've already been activating your potential and how you've been leveraging your opportunities already mm-hmm. to now, which you've been doing really well so have a look at how you've done that and how could you do that more and the second suggestion is to call me <laughs> on 777 <laughs> 267230 and have a conversation at no charge which you will either get massive value just from that conversation or you will decide and i will decide we'll decide together to work together
0: well there you go you, you you've uh, taken me to the the next thing is, how how do people get in touch with you, Catherine?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, call me. Oh, or call or WhatsApp if you're overseas. Um, 00. It's 44 777 If you're overseas or in the UK, 777 267 If you'd rather find out more about me without committing to a phone call... Um, you can listen to my podcast Truth and Transcendence which is an sound in the middle on which Tom your good self were one of the early guests in fact the first guest that's an excellent podcast in my opinion um, and my website is yesyounow.today mm. and you can find out more on there
0: mm. Thank you I, It would have been fun to to give ourselves a lot more time and to explore some of these things. I think one of the, the key things that certainly I think is so important that I'm hearing you say is is about self-awareness. For leaders to be self-aware and <clears throat> in a way that I suspect has never been the necessity, actually. Um, mm-hmm. I I think there are leaders out there who are quite aware just because of who they are. But there's an awful lot that aren't. And um, it's so much easier when you're doing things from a a sort of a foundation of strength uh, and awareness as opposed to Kind of ricocheting off the off the walls. Um
1: yeah, or or just being overly self-sufficient. I think sometimes yeah. you know people can go an awful long way without getting any assistance or support from outside, and can be just incredibly effective and successful. One of my clients, a CEO, um, really wanted me to work with some of his board members, but he didn't want to work with me himself. Mm. And he, every three months, we'd have a catch-up chat for half an hour. We, we, we'd talk about everyone else except him. Mm-hmm. And um, he was really successful and good at what he did. He recognized that I was really helping his people, but he just didn't have any appetite for it. He yeah. didn't want to do it.
0: Yeah.
1: And he was okay with that. But there, there was an had he actually been interested in a little bit more, the sort of expansion you could get when you get somebody to help you temporarily.
0: So there's a challenge out there. What's what's your stretch? What's, yeah. What where's that that level of discomfort which will take you to the next level?
1: Yeah. And what what's the appetite for it? What's the it, it's like that flare of enthusiasm, I think. That physis is that word. I don't know if you came across that word. It goes with um, libido, mortado, and physis. Physis being the, the the natural urge within us to grow, like an enthusiasm for growth, a natural force. And that is of great interest to me. I like that physis.
0: Mm. Word word of the week. Yes. Catherine, thank you very, very much indeed.
1: (laughs) My absolute pleasure, Tom.
0: (laughs) It's been great to talk to you and uh, to to hear your viewpoints, because they're they're, they're grounded in um, uh, love and respect, which I really hear in what you say. Love and respect for the people that you work with, and and I, I think that's probably one of the reasons a lot of people want to work with you. So it's great. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much. МУЗЫКАЛЬНАЯ ЗАСТАВКА